we started a series last Sunday called Our Path. Really, a better name for it would be in line with our cheeky little Your Our Path uh, or Your Our Story card that you have in front of you. The idea here is simply um, from the very beginning, uh, or almost the very beginning of the church, the church has asked, how do we better fulfill the invitation from Christ to abide with him, to, to, to remain in God, to be connected to God, as Paul says it, to allow Jesus to be formed in us. If you have any question about what we're doing here, there's a lot of different ways to say it and a lot of different ways to like, things to emphasize. And right, we talk about following Jesus in these four directions, upward to be with him inward to become like him. We journey outward to do what he did. We journey in the, withward, we journey together because you can't really be a follower of Jesus alone because central to the way of Jesus is love and you can't just love yourself. Hence why like the couch potato Instagram Christianity literally doesn't work. We journey in those four directions together and that's just our way of kind of making sense of how to allow Christ to be formed in us. It's just some modern language that's been helpful for us. But this is from the very beginning what the church has been after, what we as followers of Jesus are doing. We are being discipled. We are becoming disciples, apprentices of Jesus. And one of the key tools throughout church history has been to put together a rule of life. Just a show of hands, how many are familiar with the phrase rule of life? A good chunk of you a way of being in the world. Think of it like a game plan. Certain spiritual practices that we're gonna do together or that you're gonna do that are helpful for you to help you allow Christ to be formed in you. And we've used this picture again and again, a spiritual practice or a discipline like reading the scriptures, like regularly serving the poor, like Sabbath, like silence and solitude, these basic ancient practices that we find in scripture or some version of, we, we kind of put a game plan together because it helps us like, be formed into the way of Jesus. And so we'll say this phrase often, grace alone or God alone makes the river flow, but spiritual practices and disciplines help us wade into that river. When we're doing our spiritual practices, we're not earning anything from God. We're not getting God's favor. They are for else to help. They are for us an anchor to help us. And so for years, we have talked about individual rules of life. What's your rule of life? What's your game plan? And help people put that together. And we've realized that just throughout, again, what history, what has been the most powerful witness to the world and what has been the most helpful tool within the church to be formed is yes, to still have individual practices and habits that are good for you and your personality, but to have some shared ones and to allow not just a doctrinal statement or just some truths and beliefs about Jesus be the only thing that binds us together. Why do you go to that church? Oh, because I believe in their doctrine of or their understanding of. Those are important, but they can't be the only thing. And historically, they have not been the primary, th primary, the primary thing. No, the primary thing has been how they have lived life together. Those people, they all do that together. They all walk in that way. And so if you missed the sermon last week, that was my best shot at kind of trying to summarize it. But I want to encourage you, go back and listen to it. You can find it on our website or find it on the podcast. It'll help set the stage. Because today I want to then begin going through each direction. And today we're going to talk about our upward path. What are the practices? Two practices. 
And then kind of an optional one for you that we wanna invite you, if you're a part of this church or wanna be a part of this church, to agree to together. And what we'll do as we get to the end of this series is you'll have a whole like kind of rule of life card and we're gonna bring those little white blocks back and we got a whole plan to help us then kind of agree together as we go into Easter to, to, to be able to, when we wake up in the morning, um, lock in and agree to these like eight practices that line up with our four directions. Tim Keller, he says that um, it takes about five to 10 years of marriage to realize that you are not married to the person that you thought you were. Anyone else find this to be true? The magic one, <laughs> I just watched so many elbows fly. And <laughs> the magic number apparently is seven, according to that tends to be where it is. My wife and I have definitely experienced this. You just all of a sudden realize like, oh, I have been projecting a bit. He says that we project onto one another the idealized spouse. And if we know anything about what it means to be human, is that like to be human and to be in a healthy relationship is to let two people actually self-define. In a relationship, you are supposed to let the other person define who they are, not you project onto them this idealized version of a spouse that just happens to involve like their face. So if I have a relationship with you, like if I'm like Aaron, you and I are like, we're gonna have a relationship, man. We're gonna be buds. We're gonna like walk through it together. If, if I start to go like, you know, Aaron, like, like let me tell you what your preferences are. Like, let me tell you how, you how you really think, what you're really into. You actually don't like that food. Actually, this is the music that you like. Right? It's, it's silly, but we do this with relationships and friendships. I, I if we're gonna have a healthy relationship, need to let you be like, yeah, yeah, Andrew, I don't like all of that, right? So you and I would literally be like, Andrew, you like to like smile and be like, just like a ball of like ridiculous, earnest energy. And like, Aaron, you like to be like, Calm, cool, stoic, and composed, right? I don't know if that's fair, <laughs> right? But we need, and then we need to let we need to let ourselves, ladies, Aaron, calm, cool, center of the universe, Aaron. I need to, I need to meet him in that place, and if we're gonna have a friendship, I need to like relate to him in the way that he would like to be related to, right? You're like, yeah, obviously, yeah, but we don't do this. You're supposed to, in a marriage relationship, you're supposed to listen and learn about who the other person is. And then when you find out who they are and you find out your spouse or your friend's preferences, you do what? You'd start to kind of like them or get into it. At our wedding, we were really captivated by this image from this book, A Severe Mercy. I'll spare you the long story, but the short version is basically uh, C.S. Lewis is writing this couple and they're trying to figure out how do we keep our in-loveness? And they stumbled upon this principle that apparently helped them for decades, which was, I love you. I look down because my wife is usually right there and it's just Eric. (laughs) I love you, sweet. I love you, Corey, wherever you are. And because I love you, and you love a bunch of things, 
then by extension, I want to understand why you love those things. And so if I can start to love the things that you love because I love you, even if I don't love those things, it will actually create this, what they call like a shining barrier, like a defense against anything that would pull us out of our in-loveness. I'm not saying that's some like hard and fast principle that always worked, but it has been incredibly helpful for us. But it's that idea of I'm learning about what you love and what you like. And even if it's something like I'm not, I don't don't understand that. Perfect example in our marriage is how we rest. I would like to stay in bed as long as possible. I would like to, while in bed, like cuddle. Doesn't matter who, stuffed animal, child, wife. Just want to like, just be in bed. Sabbath, it's Saturday morning. Like, I just want to like play it as low key as possible. Do as minimal moving as actually possible. Maybe a walk, maybe. That's how I rest. I want to be still. I want to take all the agenda off. Corey is like, hey, what are the fun projects we get to do today? And so she just lines up the projects. We're going to do a little sewing. We're going to do a little bit of this. We're going to shine some shoes. We're going to fold some. It's going to be great. Now, it's not chores, but it's like projects and projects. Let's go on a little adventure. And I mean, for her, it's like, oh, my gosh, I've been in bed too long. I'm like, you just woke up 10 minutes ago. No, I got to get up. I got to get up. I got to get my coffee. So different. So, so different. But you begin to learn, oh, this is how this person actually rests. This is how this person moves. Our our love languages are incredibly, incredibly different. I, I, um... I want to love her in the way that I want to be loved. This is something it's still taking us a long time to understand because I hold the way that I love as like the best way. I mean, it's all because it's all the classical things. It's like, let's go on long elaborate dates together and let me like write you a song. I mean, let me like do these extravagant over the top excursions and experiences to show you, write you a soliloquy of just how much I care for you. Corey, like words of affirmation, physical affection, these are not her love languages. But I will keep pounding at that because that's what I would like to receive. What she would like me to do, which I've gotten better at, is go, oh, you want me to see the fact that that railing needs sanded and painted and I should do that. Some of them are like, whoa, I don't get it. You feel loved when I hired the guy to come and put our fence up. And it was a surprise. I didn't even do the fence myself. And she's like, I love you so much. I'm like, I get that look in your eye like, oh, wow. Still having a hard time getting there and recognizing that that could actually be the way. I'm actually trying to convince her that the way you receive love is not correct. It's stupid. This is what it is to have a healthy relationship with a person. And what differentiates amongst a number of things, the way of Jesus from vague spirituality is that God is a person. Not a cosmic, distant, disconnected force, but God made himself known to us in Jesus. The Trinity is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Central is that actually God is in relationship with God's self and with us, not an impersonal cosmic force that you can project your ideas onto. God is a person and God has preferences. Following me. You ever heard the term, this flies around certain Christian circles, like Christianity is a relationship, not a religion. I get that. Feels really good. 
There's a lot to say and a lot we can draw from, even though there's no verse that being in a relationship with God, like the, it, there really is all this imagery of we can relate to God in this personal relational way. And, and it's a great impulse. It's not about the rules. No, it's not about the rules. But I, 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 will, I will say like what tends to be behind that statement often is, oh yeah, because God's a relationship, not a religion, then I can project my ideas of who God is onto God's self. Just like I do a lot of other relationships. And I don't know about you, but I'd much rather a religion than a relationship. Because if you're trying to avoid like rules or sacrifice or surrender, a relationship, a true relationship, a good relationship is way harder than a religion. There are certain things you can't do in a relationship if you want it to work. And so the upwards direction, being with Jesus, is the practice of getting to know who God is. And in an era where the temptation I feel has never been stronger to project our ideas of what love is and our ideas of what justice is and our ideas of what inner peace is and our ideas of what sacrifice is and our ideas of care is and our ideas of fill in the blank onto God and go, that must be what God's like because that's what I feel. We have to be incredibly careful that we are not doing what we do in the worst kinds of relationships, which is not allowing the other person to self-define. God's like, actually, I have a different way of being in the world than you would like to project. And let's be really clear. The Bible tells us over and over that God wants to be known. He's given us the scriptures, a revelation of himself in Jesus. We're told that Jesus is the fullness of God made flesh. All that we want to know about God, we're told is found in looking at Jesus. We're given the Holy Spirit who walks with us and we're told reminds us of everything that Jesus taught is what it says in the book in John. He wants to be known. In Acts 17, verse 24, we read the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he, get, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this. Why did he do this? That they, that's us, would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. He wants to be known. So if we as a church are gonna establish a shared set of practices, a shared way of being, a shared way of walking the path of Jesus, it has to start here and journeying upwards with ancient practices that help us get to know God better to be with him. It's about getting to know him and learning what he loves and understanding his heart as our creator and Lord and learning God's preferences and his posture toward us and who we are. Turn with me if you have your Bibles to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. We're all just waiting for it to come on the screen, aren't you? The heavens declare the glory of God. If you're taking notes, just circle that word glory. The skies proclaim the work of his hands day after day. This is the psalmist, by the way. This is like one of his like top hits. These are songs written for the church to sing. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. He's talking about the stars. 
revealing knowledge. The universe. They have no speech. It's good that he knows that. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet, yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the end of the world. The stars declare. You would think with the like, advent of the Hubble telescope and the amount of information we now have about the galaxies that in some way we maybe wouldn't be as in awe of the universe as of the ancient people who like, reflected on this psalm were. But now we know like, there's like, galaxies that are 180,000 light years away, 4 billion miles, miles across, moving at 200,000 miles per hour. Somehow all that's happening at the same time while you look on it. Like actually, the more we know, the more it has triggered awe and reverence. I've mentioned this before, but many of the folks that have been studying um, DNA and the basic building blocks, there's this whole movement within the university world right now of people becoming deists and many becoming Christians because the more that they study and examine the building blocks of creation, the more they are just overwhelmed with the elegance and beauty and awe at the base level of who we are. It's fascinating. A book called The Language of God, written by the guy who uh, leads the Human Genome Project uh, as a follower of Jesus. encourage you to read that. The Language of God. It's so big, the universe, and yet so small. It's massive. Anybody who spent any time just like on a beautiful night gazing up at the stars has some version of the same experience of the scientist who's looking through the telescope and going, oh my gosh, this world is Bizarre, big, beautiful. To quote Keanu Reeves, whoa. Didn't know if that joke was going to land. Thank you for that pity laugh. The word that is used here for glory is the word kavod. Could you say kavod? Say kavod. That's the word for glory, and it basically means weight. Literal Weight, significance, honor, and majesty, all kind of bound up in this word weight. It's largeness and abundance. Some things in this world are light and shallow and flimsy. Some things in this world are fast fashion. And then some things have kavod. It's something you get swept up in. The Bible talks about glory, even that like people have glory. It's your weight and your essence. It's like you walk into a room, you walk into church, you walk into a party, and like he's like, he's a mechanic, an amazing dad, like, like he, he's really, really kind. You're describing this person as they walk in. That, like, that's, if that's you, like, that's what you're known for. That's your weight. That's your significance. That's your spark. It's probably why your spouse fell in love with you. You had a bit of kavod. We're told in the scriptures we are crowned with glory. Most of the time, though, in the scriptures, we speak of glory, speak of kavod, as reflecting on the massive beauty and majesty and presence and weightiness of God. It's something that when you come face to face with, you are reminded of just how small you are. It's the inception sound. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. It's the, you're sitting out like in the water, treading water, you're out on your surfboard or something and all of a sudden like you see the tail of a very large fish. It's like, oh, I am small. 
It's those moments where you just look up a big sky, you're in the country and there's no lights in the city, of the city like blotting it out and you're like, oh. It's that moment where you, you see a child like born and you, you don't know why, but you just, you're, you're gonna burst into tears because, oh my gosh. Because, whoa. This is Kavod. The prophet Isaiah has a vision of heaven. And his vision, uh, he sees these angels shouting, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his Kavod. Like set apart and not like me. That's a holy word means. Set apart and not like me. Set apart, perfect. The whole earth is full of that weight and that presence. The whole earth is full of the significance of who God is. The prophets were deeply influenced by this understanding that the earth was drenched in the weightiness of God. David, in another psalm, says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And then he later prays, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? So the writer here has experienced awe and reverence in everything. It's why even in the great chaos and pain and ache of the world, we can experience the weightiness and joy and the profundity that at the bottom of everything is the God of the universe. It's almost like the writers are saying, if you lose the deep sense of awe and reverence, you will lose something about what it means to be a person. Because your proper place in the world is in awe and reverence of that, which is weightier than you. Now, as it often happens, we get to the New Testament. And in the context of where most of the New Testament is written, people are speaking Greek, so we get a different word. And I want to share this word. So kavod gets translated uh, to glory in English. Right in between that 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 year swing is this word, <laughs> doxa. You say doxa. Luke 2, 14. Glory to God in the highest. So this would be doxa to God in the highest and on earth peace among men whom he is pleased. 150 times this word is used in the New Testament. I didn't count. I looked it up. Someone else who had looked it up. Now, in tra- <laughs> Bible joke. Now when translators were trying to take this Hebrew word, this very Hebrew word kavod, and translate it to Greek, why do they use this word and not another one? So doxa means a thought or an opinion to consider something a view or a judgment of something or someone. Interesting, right? Like what on earth does that have to do with the weightiness of the word kavod? Like how do we help these Greeks get this idea of glory? Let's choose doxa. It's actually brilliant. I don't have time to get into all of it, but you can look this up. Basically, the idea is simply God's view of things. God's judgments of things. How God sees things. I.e., how things truly are. We often see things from a skewed perspective. Our perspective can shift over time, our mood, our opinions, our ideas, which, right, are just our best shot at describing reality and doxa is how things are. It's an invitation to see reality and see beauty and majesty for how things are. 
And so for the New Testament writers, God is ultimate reality. God is weight and significance and ultimate truth. God is the base note underneath everything. And so if we're interested in being with Jesus and being connected with Jesus and in a relationship with Jesus, we aren't just looking to project ourselves onto him. We must behold his glory and see things how he sees things. We learn about God's weight and we learn about God's significance and we see him for how he says he actually is. And so we journey upwards in our church. This is how we extrapolate this. You can put this on the screen. We believe that having a deep and connected relationship with God is the best possible way to live. We celebrate the divine and the daily pursuing lives of hope and gratitude and worship. We believe worship is the submission of all our nature to God, the quickening of the conscience by his holiness, the nourishment of mind with his truth, the purifying of imagination by his beauty, the opening of the heart to his love, the surrender of will to his purpose. All this gathered up in adoration, the most selfless emotion of which our nature is capable. And everybody said, come on, that doesn't move you. We journey in this direction then by having a, a game plan a way of life that helps us close the gap between what we say we believe about who God is and what, how that actually looks in our own life. Is our life filled with awe and reverence? Do we find ourselves submitting to God with God's way? Do we find ourselves going to God for insight and, 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 and wisdom? Or do we find ourselves just sort of knocked to and fro by whatever a cultural like, move happens to be happening at the given moment? Justin Weeby says, only when your habits are constructed to match your worldview, do you become someone who doesn't just know about God and neighbor, but someone who actually loves God and neighbor. Gregory Boyd says this, I believe this is the most prevalent and tragic misunderstanding that affects contemporary Western Christianity. We make a vow to submit our life to Christ, but then spend 99% of our time excluding him from our awareness. We make him Lord over our life in theory, but we do not make him Lord over the moments that make up our life. And so a rule of life, a set of spiritual practices, a church-wide one, your path coming into collision with our path is a way that we collectively do our part to remain in Jesus, to allow Jesus to be formed in us. And we need practices that are in the upward direction that help us be with him and learn about him. That needs to come first and foremost because everything flows from worship. And so we have two practices that we want to, uh, to invite those of you who are part of our community to participate in. And again, as we come to the end of the series to lock into, and they're absolutely radical. You've never heard of either of them. One is simply scripture. To do daily scripture reading. That every Monday through Friday, we read a passage in the New Testament. We're gonna give you a whole reading plan if you wanna map along with it. Some of you already have regular rhythms of reading the scriptures. It's beautiful. And we're gonna use this, um, this acronym just because I'm not a big acronym guy, but I find they're so helpful for people to hold on to things. So if you're having the same sort of allergic response to an acronym as I do, bear with me, it's good. 
The acronym here is BREAD. If you were with us a couple of weeks back when we talked about feasting on God, this is where this comes from. But when we come together, or sorry, when you are individually in your, in your home, in your work, to one, be still, to find a place, be, where you can encounter God and ask him to fill the space, trust the Holy Spirit to come, read, read through the passage slowly, look for something that stands out, grabs your attention, reflect on it. To encounter, so take your, that verse and meditate on it. Consider what God might be saying to you. Ask a question of application, like turn your focus outward. What might God be inviting me to consider, to pray, to act on, and then devote? Close by writing a simple prayer of devotion to God. We'll be sending all this out. I don't have to remember all this now. But we wanna give every single time these practices along these directions a base practice and a stretch one. So the base level is simply this to seek to spend at least 10 minutes each day in the scriptures with the bread, that bread guide, journeying if you're able. And the stretch would be give as much time as you're able to this each day and incorporate deeper study and do this, here's the real kicker, before you touch your phone. Or if you're a night owl and not a morning person, it's just impossible because a rule of life is meant to be something you like actually can achieve. Do it at the end of the day. The last thing that hits your mind and heart is the scriptures. And then what we'll ask you is just write that practice out, how that will look and what you'll be going through. The second practice involves worship and prayer. So in order to help us orient our day around the presence of Jesus, just a simple morning and evening rhythm for the, all of us to join in together with. So again, I got another acronym for you. Pray. Pray in the morning, P-R-A-Y, and then an examine at night. So in the morning, set aside 10 minutes at the beginning of the day, maybe with that scripture reading time would make the most sense. And just have a moment of worship and prayer together. One, praise, spend time praising God for who he is. I love putting on worship music in the morning, but writing out like what you're grateful for, what you're giving thanks for, begin the day, repent. Like turn around and examine the things that you, you know are like stirring in your soul that are those good desires that God's given you that have gone astray. Ask. Um, spend time like naming the things and asking God for his kingdom to come. You're a child of God and you can ask him. You're invited to ask him for things and then yield. And yield simply means to surrender. Spend time surrendering to Jesus, not my will, but yours. Lord, this is what I, I, would, I desire. This is what I think is in step with your will. But, but actually praying that prayer of concession. And then in the evening, taking a moment to carve out 10 minutes. It's these small little daily practices. They're like, oh, that's easy. I kind of do that stuff generally. No, no, no. We're, we're asking each other to put these kinds of things on our calendar. To take 10 minutes to pray. To reflect on your day. To replay the day and recognize your emotions in God's presence with you to rejoice in all the good things of the day where you saw God at work and then repent of the ways in which you missed Jesus or did not follow him wholeheartedly and resolve again to surrender and live for him that next day. So the base practice, the entry level practice would be simply, hey, five to 10 minutes of private prayer. Like put that in, five to 10 minutes of reading the scriptures as often as you can throughout the week. Like commit to a rhythm. If you can't do every day, do every other. Once a week, but begin somewhere. And then commit to being here on Sunday mornings as part of worship and exploring the word together is actually being present. And say, I'm gonna commit to being here as often as I can.
And the stretch practice, the reach practice, which is for a lot of us, is, is that up on the, this isn't up there? Oh. Oh, it was. Oh, great. Thanks. No, the one before it. Practice two. Did you get that one? There it is. So the base practice, um, the stretch practice being daily morning prayer and evening examine. So every day, making sure you're spending time when you're in the word to pray and ending every day and examine. And then committing to coming quarterly to altar or to a heart gathering. And then lastly, you can go to the last slide. Practice three. I'm kind of giving you again a foretaste of what you'll all receive in these packets in the coming weeks. Is then there will be practices for you specifically if you'd like to add one to your rule that will help you be with Jesus and help you connect deeper with him. I want to go back as we close to our uh, language around the upward direction. Part of that paragraph comes from William Temple. And he is the one who says, worship is the submission of all of our nature to God. The quickening of the conscience by his holiness and the nourishment of mind with his truth. The purifying of imagination by his beauty and the opening of the heart to his love. The surrender of will to his purpose. All of this gathered up in adoration the most selfless emotion of which our nature is capable. We want to kind of seal these two practices that we we introduced here that many of you I know as part of our church have been doing for years. But sealing sort of some rhythms that we want to do together in a moment of, of worship. We always try to be done at about an hour and a half. And so that gives us like 10 minutes. And so for 10-ish minutes, I want to invite us to lean in, in that posture of submission to God. Of going before our Lord and allowing him to self-define. Holy, there is no one like you. There is no one beside you. Open up my eyes and wonder Show me, show me who you are. To give him thanks. He, he, he asks us all throughout the scriptures to come. Literally, there, there's even an argument to be said. He comes and invites you to use the word, the Hebrew word for hand. They are to lift your hand up high and that's how God wants us to approach him. So yeah, all you charismatics, you were onto something like biblically with the like hand straight up. Like there's something about the surrender of the bringing our whole selves before the Lord. Something that we actually do know how to do every time we walk into a football stadium or every time that we like geek out about something that we love that is much lesser than, but captures our emotions and our energy and all that we are. Worship, the upward direction, building these daily practices. These all center around the commitment to praise to see ourselves as creature and to see God as creator, to recognize the weightiness, the otherness, the sovereignty, the providence of our God. So I wanna invite you, if you would, would you stand? The rhythms of our lives what we do, 
These things shape who we become. They form the desires of our hearts, what we want, which shape the direction of our lives. We too often get this backwards in worship. I'm not really feeling it. I'm not really like that. That's not really my vibe. But actually to commit to, yes, reading the scriptures and commit to daily prayer and commit to in a moment like this to lift our arms high and to abandon our hearts to God. Just the practice of doing that. This is like when the psalmist is telling his soul to worship. Like, Andrew, worship. Andrew, you know ultimately what's most true, regardless of how you feel right now, regardless of where you're at, regardless of what, if you know that song or not. I, I, I wanna give myself to you. I wanna acknowledge and remember who you are because it is in the giving thanks and it is the remembering of who I am and it is in the joining breath with all these other sisters and brothers that you speak and that you heal and that you restore and that you encourage. This is what you do, God. And so I'm gonna make a rhythm of my life and worship that I'm gonna throw my hands to the sky, literally or figuratively. Just being gentle on you Presbyterians out there. To form, the, let that form the desire of your heart. Actually, as I worship, I find myself desiring God more. And my wants begin to go to God more because I recognize where truth and where beauty and where freedom and where love and where life actually is. And this then shapes me to go out into the world for a new week of being the church. And so to whatever posture you'd like to jump into, I know I invited you all to stand, but if you, you need to go back to your knees. If for you, it's sitting and looking out the stained glass window and allowing the moment to wash over you. Or if for you, it's like I'm getting in that aisle and I am dancing. Or for you, it's I'm gonna come to the front I don't need prayer. I just need to come forward to the altar and re-surrender again to the upward path of being with you, Lord. Let us proclaim together the God who is holy and worthy.